You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join us today for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 501, Scorpion. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we delve deeply into an episode of Star Trek to discover its morals, meanings, and messages, perhaps even a parable, and then asking ourselves if it all stands the test of time. This week, it's the finale of Voyager Season 3, Scorpion Part 1, the one where Janeway engages the Borg and decides to dance with the devil. In the Pale Moonlight? No, 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 Norman, uh, Scorpion. In the Pale Moonlight was DS9, that other show. I mean, I mean, did you ever dance with the devil in the Pale Moonlight? Why are you quoting the Joker? Never mind. N- n- never mind. Um... John will be back with trivia in a moment, but first, here are all the ways to reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now, here's John Champion with this week's trivia. All right, it's Scorpion Part 1, End of Voyager, Season 3. And this episode was written by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski. And in this case, Jerry Taylor gives a lot of the credit to Brandon. He had, of course, co-written the very successful Star Trek First Contact movie. And then those little glimpses of the Borg were starting to show up in Voyager at the end of Blood Fever and then again in Unity. But the plan wasn't always to go this way. At one point, yes, Year of Hell was going to be the season three cliffhanger. But Brannon was so intrigued by the appearance of the Borg that it just felt right to see if they could create an enemy even more powerful. And no, they hadn't planned yet on how to get out of this cliffhanger before wrapping up the episode. It was directed by David Livingston, still the one to beat if you want to go for that record of the most Star Trek episodes ever directed. In this case, David benefited from creating some moody set pieces by using a lot of Borg material from First Contact and the heavy use of CG in this episode, speaking about all that CG. This episode has the most so far of any Voyager episode up until this point. Remember, it was way back at the start of the season when those first few steps were made, then fast forward for a bit of uh, giant virus action, and here we are with fully realized alien characters. By the way, John, uh, giant yes. giant virus action, easily yep. the album for today. Oh, easily. easy, easy. Yeah, 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 yeah. done. Yeah. Until okay. we get to another one. Yeah, right. <laughs> but... <laughs> But keep in mind, in this episode, it wasn't all CG. 
In fact, Dan Curry pulled a brilliant cost-saving move when he used Playmates action figures of the Borg to create a pile of Borg corpses that we see in one shot. And yep, those are just plain old action figures, and he didn't even have to pay for them. He just asked nicely from the licensing department. But speaking of money, this is one of those episodes where you can tell the production planned well. A few bucks saved here and there throughout the season, relying on bottle shows to carry some of that weight, meant that the season ender could go all out. And let's meet our guest stars. Just one, John Reese davies as Leonardo da Vinci in holodeck form. This was partially Kate's idea to introduce Leonardo, enthusiastically brought to script by Brannon. They both felt that it was the right combination of captain and historic figure. As for John Reese davies well, he is a Star Trek fan, and believe you me, he didn't even need to audition to get the role. That's the kind of actor he is and the kind of reputation he has. John is Welsh. He studied at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts and has such an extensive resume, there is no way we could adequately cover it here. Our audience likely instantly recognizes him and his voice from one of two places, Gimli in Lord of the Rings or Sala in the Indiana Jones movies. Of course, there's always I, Claudius, Dune, Sliders, about a million voice acting roles. In other words, it's a lot. You probably watched John Reese davies in a movie this week. And if you didn't, well, don't worry. He'll be back for more appearances on Voyager 2. Welcome to the Delta Quadrant. Caution. Borg and other assorted Lovecraftian horrors ahead. Next 55 quadrillion miles. Please drive carefully. Prologue. We are the Borg. Prepare to be... Gonna have to cut that one short because a powerful energy beam just zapped two Borg cubes out of the sky and made them blow up real good. Act 1. Captain Janeway is relaxing on the holodeck in Leonardo da Vinci's studio with Leonardo himself. They talk art and invention and the possibility of flight. It's a true meeting of the minds until Janeway is called back to work. There's a problem on the horizon. Voyager is entering a vast part of the Delta Quadrant inhabited by the Borg. Their long-range probe was picked up by a cube, which means the Borg, no Voyager, is on its way. What may be their only hope is to cruise through a slightly less occupied area they've nicknamed the Northwest Passage in order to avoid a conflict. But regardless, it's all hands on deck to be prepared for what could be trouble ahead. While every department is preparing, even the EMH is making headway with understanding the Borg assimilation process from a medical point of view. In sickbay, Kess has a frightening premonition, though. Borg bodies dead, and the destruction of Voyager. And just like that, transwarp signatures are picked up. It's the Borg, several cubes, closing in fast on Voyager, but they just blow right by at first until one stops, runs a quick scan, and then flies away with the others. Act 2. That may have felt lucky, 
but Janeway is taking no chances. Course is resumed, but the captain pours herself into studying everything there is to know about the Borg. She questions herself about her decision to carry on through dangerous territory, whether it's worth the risk to Voyager and her crew, but Chakotay reassures her that they will make the right decisions together. Duty calls when something very odd gets picked up on scanners. All those Borg cubes from before? Dead stop. No warp signatures, no power. On investigation, Voyager finds the remains of those cubes and only a few sporadic life signs. What's more ominous is that Tuvok reports weapon signatures, one Borg and one of an unknown origin. Something very powerful just destroyed an awful lot of Borg. Act 3. Fifteen Borg cubes laid to waste, but who or what could have done that, and are they friend or foe? The first hint at an answer comes from a biosign on one of the cubes. It gives up no information to Voyager scanners, which means an away team will have to get closer to investigate. When Chakotay, Tuvok, and Kim beam in, they mostly find corpses and a handful of badly damaged alive Borg drones attempting repairs. Finally, they spot the alien biomass, and Chakotay and Tuvok enter, while Kim attempts to gather any Borg data about what happened. What Chakotay and Tuvok find is a damaged but apparently self-healing biologically-based ship and computer system. In the corner, a Borg drone lies dead, covered in some kind of veiny biologic material on its face. Outside, Kim is distracted from his work by clanging, echoing sounds, and he alerts the other two that they are not alone. At the same time on Voyager, Cass has another vision about Kim in danger, and that's all the alert Janeway needs to order the team beamed back home. Only it's not working. Something causing bioelectric interference prevents Balana from getting a lock, which leaves the team to fend for themselves, for a little while at least. They find themselves ignored by any reanimating Borg, but definitely in the sights of a huge, aggressive alien that smashes through an entryway and quickly sends Chakotay and Tuvok flying with a smack. Kim is knocked down too, and just as the alien goes in for presumably a kill, Balana successfully gets the transporter to lock onto the team and beams them back to Voyager. The bioship powers up its weapons as caskets of vision of the alien, and Voyager attempts to get away. They're hit by an energy beam from the other ship, but not enough to prevent them from getting away, safe for now. Until Cass tells Janeway that the alien had communicated with her through a telepathic link, the same way she had the premonitions. It has a message for them all. The weak shall perish. Act 4 it's quiet for now, and Janeway carries on with the plan to follow the Northwest Passage. Harry Kim has seen better days, though. The attacking alien left a little of its own cells on him, and those cells are doing a number on the ensign, in the doctor's words, eating him alive. It gets worse. Those alien cells that are taking over Kim are impervious to just about everything. Antibiotics, painkillers, Vicks VapoRub, you name it. Even Borg tech can't get through. The alien cells just kill it like a virus. But the doctor has a new idea. Some of the stray Borg nanoprobes he has might be modified a bit to mimic the bioelectric signature of the alien cells, infiltrate, and kill them off. But it will take 
days. And we don't know if Kim has days. In other news, Bellana has been poring over the data gleaned from the Borg Cube database. Interesting. The Borg have designated their new alien enemies as Species 8472, and they are running scared from them. Oh, and the Northwest Passage is just chock full of 8472's bioships, all appearing from out of a quantum singularity. And... Kess still has a psychic bond with them. The message is clear. 8472 are here to destroy everything in their way. Before Janeway can make any decisions about what to do, she needs rest, and apparently a meeting with Leonardo in the holodeck again. The great artist is in a contemplative mood and listens to Janeway's dilemma, face a deadly foe or run and hide. Leonardo suggests counsel with an abbot for an appeal to a higher imagination for alternatives. Before she can agree, Janeway is struck with inspiration of her own, an appeal to the devil. Act 5. Time for a meeting. Janeway lays it all out for her staff. With the doctor's advances with modifying the nanoprobes, they have an advantage over 8472 that the Borg don't have. They could strike a truce safe passage in exchange for knowledge of this tactical advantage. Yeah, most of the staff are not prepared for this. The doctor says his treatment isn't ready, and everyone else questions the very idea of negotiating with the Borg. Janeway asks the doctor to move his research into his hollow matrix so it only exists there and can be erased if they don't cooperate. A course is set for the nearest Borg cube. Then it's time for Chakotay and Janeway to get real, and he's got a parable for her. Remember the one about the scorpion and the frog? Sorry, strike that. The one about the scorpion and the fox? It's the one where the scorpion stings the fox while being transported across a river, dooming them both, only because it couldn't change its nature and not sting the other animal. That's the Borg. The scorpion is the Borg. And Voyager is the fox, if Janeway goes through with this scheme. Chakotay suggests that there is courage to be found in not pursuing this dangerous path. Janeway is not convinced. Retreat is not an option for her. And as captain, she's not interested in debating the point further. Chakotay will go along with his captain's orders, even though he thinks the plan is a mistake. Shortly, Voyager arrives deep in Borg space. Borg cubes, Borg planets, Borg stuckies, as far as the eye can see. The nearest Borg cube starts doing what they do, preparing to assimilate by gripping Voyager and a tractor beam, but Janeway stops them with just a hint of her knowledge of how to defeat 8472. The Borg stop and transport the captain inside a cube where she tells them what she wants. Safe passage or no deal. Voyager will help the Borg develop the weapon against 8472, allowing them to work faster. But as she explains more, a quantum singularity opens up. Bioships swarm in, opening fire on every Borg target, destroying cubes and even a planet. Only one cube, towing Voyager, makes a hasty exit to be continued. 
very dramatic reading. It was so just momentous and epic. Dude, here's the thing. Dramatic episode, momentous, epic episode. I, I don't want to mm-hmm. give it away, but I feel like they, they handed us a gift with the, uh, you know, keeping things, uh, shall we say, tight. Like a toiger. Like a toiger. And mm-hmm. uh, and just on track. And, you know, look, I, I don't know where we're going to end up in Act 5 of our show. But for now, at least, just a rollicking story. And a rollicking story with a very quick cold open. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, was re-watching that. And I'm like, that can't be it. So at least according to Paramount Plus, when I was streaming it, mm-hmm. it was 22 seconds from uh, the fade in to the fade out. Wow. Wow. But but how cool. How cool that they get across everything. Well, it's very economical. You know, and I mean, for people that have been following the Borg, like ever since Q snapped his fingers, Mm -hmm. when you see two Borg cubes destroyed by a handful of bolts of lightning in five seconds or just slightly longer, that makes you kind of sit up and take notice. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of trying to put myself back in that place in 1997 and go like, ooh yeah. I had seen First Contact. I know how big and scary the Borg are. This is a dramatic thing. <laughs> so well done in that 22 second cold opening. Um, and the other thing that I really like uh, to kick things off here is just Janeway in that studio with Leonardo. What a better fit than Lord What's-His-Bucket, who I'm not even going to think about anymore. <laughs> I mean, just uh, uh, it, not only great to see two intellects come together like that, but just the beauty of the room and and the presence of John Rhys-Davies. Yeah, uh, well, that says it all. I mean, you know, his name, let alone reputation, precedes him, even like underneath all of those prosthetics and yeah. the wig and the, and the beard. Yeah. But um, going through like the pan shot of all of Da Vinci's, you know, contract and gadgets and stuff. I love how the Mona Lisa's eyes are magnified. Just the sketches of her eyes are magnified under the magnifying glass. It really sets the scene. It kind of, it it transports you back almost like beyond a holodeck program. Yes, it really does. So good. And oh my God, poor Leonardo with the age old artist problem. People pay your artist. Even Leonardo is complaining about being duped by a, you know, work for free, it's great exposure gig. Not cool. Yeah. Not cool. I love what Leonardo was working on. The uh, the arm of Hephaestus. Mm-hmm. The automaton, the hammer of the forge, of the god of the forge, or uh, let's see, um, in Roman, it'd be Vulcan. It would. The forge, <laughs> it would. It would. Right? So uh, it was neat. It was very Borg-ish. It was. So a great choice for that. And by the way, uh, you can look up a lot more about that. Apparently, those sketches were found, but the final diagram, the final piece was never found. Legend has it that Leonardo actually finished it. He actually had this uh, this automaton in a suit of armor uh, that he would show off. And now, you know, fast forward, it was like in the 1950s that those original sketches were found. And now at the Leonardo Museum, you can actually see a recreation of that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, so a long history to that missing piece. Uh, very cool. And all right, then we get into a montage, and I love seeing the crew get prepared here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, if you need to cover a lot in a little bit of time, you're going to need a montage. And that's what they did. Going to need a montage. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, Timestamp, uh, seven minutes and six seconds. So I Jamie knew you were going to get this. I knew it. <laughs> let's do it. Yes. Right? Yes. It's, 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 that's the montage. Uh, just an episode ago, mm-hmm. Chakotay said the same thing, which you kind of like nitpicked and made fun at when yep. he's like, let's do it. Is there a better way to actually start a mutiny <laughs> than just let's do it? And not to make too fine of a point of it, but back in this era of Star Trek, was this Janeway's thing? Yeah. Let's do it. I, I don't know. Did he pick that up from her? Because I, I haven't really picked it up as a thing, but it, it just seems so weak when Chakotay said it. Because you would think, <laughs> like, if you're going to have a mutiny, you really got to be prepared. It's got to be, right. got to catch people off guard. But it's all in the delivery, I guess. It all, yeah. And yeah. Janeway's got that kind of command. Yeah. Um, I, I thought a really nice little small line where they're getting scanned by the Borg and she says, think good thoughts. Great. <laughs> Just a <laughs> great delivery again. I uh, was fascinated by that bit of trivia that the dead uh, pile of board bodies were, in fact, just you know, mashed together action figures. But that's it. so effective. Perfect. Such a yeah. perfect effect. And then, okay, I'm sure you picked this up when Janeway is looking at logs of other captains. Captain mm-hmm. Amasov of the Endeavor. Of course, what I, I like to think that she's actually referencing Captain Asimov of the, the Searcher. But, hey. but we know we won't get there until the 25th century. So mm-hmm. I, I guess Janeway just misspoke in that. Your reference game is strong, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but was she really imitating Picard, though? Because, I, you know, Chakotay says that, like, oh, you're doing a little bit of them. I, uh, I, I didn't really pick that up. But I yes. think she was channeling what he was saying maybe she was trying to be him in the moment of him putting that in the log maybe she was yeah, yeah. I mean, and like people do imitate their captains just like they imitate yeah. their bosses and everybody but yeah even just the words the way it was written it, you could just hear picard saying it i wonder what he would sound like it's like let's do it no it doesn't really sound <laughs> it does not the work. same right it no, does not make work. it so it's way better way better uh, for him Again, there's a lot of really good economical storytelling when it comes to the Borg and how the Borg are threatened. When Voyager flies through like Borg ship debris, like large chunks of cube, yeah, that's like, okay, what is going on here? We saw the teaser. We saw mm-hmm. this. We saw the 15 ships streak past them like they were like a herd of like, you know, prey being chased by predators. Yes. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah, really, very, really good scene there. Yeah. And by the time we then get in, just such a great buildup of those creepy shots. Like, we got such a little tease of it back in Unity. But now they're really going all out with these really creepy shots. Again, that stack of Borg bodies. But I did have to ask myself, like, why did those bodies get stacked up? Is this just like a space-saving measure? Did 8472 <laughs> want to do a little cleanup? Or they're like, oh, no, no, that looks better there. You know, mm-hmm. 
wasn't yeah. quite sure. <laughs> clean up on Corridor 5. <laughs> clean up on Corridor 5. But it's kind I of mean, a kind of a very Cronenberg look to that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's mm-hmm. we're, we're entering, like, science fiction. Now we're entering cl- clearly the science fiction horror segment. Yeah, yeah, you know, pa- paging Brandon Braga, paging Brandon Braga. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of, like, flips over there. Yeah. I really should have said Corridor 47, but hey, you should, who am I? Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll save that for later. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the, the the broken Borg bodies, Yeah, well, that's a lot of alliteration. Like, in the corridors, um, I really do like how in, like, sci-fi horror, you use a lot of steam and mist to accentuate, say, lighting effects, like the... The wrist torches that the away team's wearing or how cool their tricorders look blinking on and off like in yeah. the mast or like the phaser rifle, oh. the, the sights. I mean, all of the lighting and just kind of like the strobing effects, very, very effective in setting that scene. Yeah. Yeah. So, so good. Um, and hey, a little shout out to the Breen for their biologically based ships. It was mm-hmm. uh, very good to hear that. And uh, talk to me about this, Bolana and her skeletal lock from a transporter. Because to yeah. me, that just seems like something a transporter should definitely do anyway. I mean, right. like, like if a transporter is scanning for life science, scanning for bioscience and differentiating human from something else, whatever, look for a skeleton anyway. I, I mean, but, as long as it still beams over everything else along with the skeleton, I think we're good. So if you skeletal lock somebody, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so I always thought like the transporter is kind of like a really, really advanced MRI, right? You know, mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. just have everything just get locked on immediately. So... <sighs> It felt out of place. Let's be honest. Like, she said she made it up on the fly. It felt like it was made up on the fly. Let's see where it goes. Hopefully, it's not just a one-off. Might be. Who knows? Yeah. No, Um, look, if I'm I'm in Starfleet day one, if I know that that is ever going to be a question or a problem, I'm going to be like, look, replace half my bones with titanium. And then tell the transporter chief, look for the guy that's half metal running around. Okay, and, but what if they transport you and then just the metal parts of your body end up on the pad? <laughs> well, get, get all the other stuff, too. <laughs> get, 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 all, get the other stuff, yeah. Get. Just saying. You never know what yeah, happens right. with the transporter. Yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of being in weird places at different times, so Kess, when she had a premonition about Harry, she's in sickbay, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden there's another premonition, and she falls into Janeway's arms. At what point in time did she actually enter the bridge? That is a great question. That's a really so I, short amount of time. Yeah. Right. I feel yeah. like there's a, a missing scene somewhere where she needs to bring information to the captain about what happened while the doctor is saying, get them out of there or something. Yeah. 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 No, good point. I, I have to say that I, I like the detail and the very brutal and interesting set of traits that the writers came up with for our alien species being introduced here. An immune system that is so complex and powerful that it destroys any pathogen that comes its way. So I really love it when sci-fi can think through something like this and make it feel plausible in its world. You know, it's not just like, ooh, there's a really powerful enemy out there. It's like, no, 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 we're, we're going to give this a well-thought-out biological basis um, I, I thought that was great, uh, mm-hmm. and especially the way this exposed in the show. Uh, also, got to say the uh, the makeup on Garrett. Yikes! Uh, simple but scary. Can't help but uh, but feel for him in that scene. I mean, it looks like something we haven't encountered before. So, as an audience member, you're like, "Oh, that's got to be bad." Yeah, you know, right. it, it's. Right. I mean, you know, we're working against time. I love how the doctor holds up the. First, like the vial of nanoprobes that he said he extracted from the Borg bodies, mm-hmm. you know, from that planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he has this little globe and he says, I have a modified nanoprobe. 
And I don't know why I thought went down this road of thinking, but it's almost like he's holding up a grenade. Like I have this grenade uh, weapon yeah, yeah. that we can use against this new species because right. it's very large just to hold a, an a experimental probe. probe. Yeah, yeah. But it's very representational of let's use this against the enemy. Yeah. So yeah. Hmm. Instead of like basically like saying, "Hey, look at this thing that you can't see that's going to destroy the Borg." Yeah. Um, all right. So let's let's uh, let's tackle the uh, 4,700 pound <laughs> elephant in the room. Species 8472. How Had long has this been staring this in the face? Had to be. Couldn't be 8572. Had to be 8462. Eight, eight, right. No. You know? Couldn't be that. No. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> um, and then Janeway goes to seek counsel again from Leonardo. He says, we will appeal to God. And she says, somehow, I don't think that's going to work for me. Uh, I don't want to make a huge, huge thing about this, but I, I think way back to Mission Log Episode 1 discussing the cage and how uh, Pike is confronted with the Telosian version of hell being a myth, you know, an earth myth from your childhood. And that kicked off this conversation about how is religion perceived, how are certain myths adopted or not in this imagined 24th century future, 23rd or 24th century future. And that's not a thing that's lingered on. It's not a thing that is discussed at all, but it is Janeway sort of planting her foot in a different position from Leonardo's, uh, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. But of course, appealing to, you know, the, you know, the church, that's what Mm -hmm. Leonardo would do since the church were patrons, you know, of of his employment. And had power, you know. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I also really like Janeway's uh, description of the Starfleet way. We don't assimilate, we investigate. It's very clear it's just very bonk bonk on the head but yes that is indeed what they do i have an observation but it's also something i want to kind of set up for in discussion so janeway Mm -hmm. says in one regard the borg are no different than we are they're trying to survive i don't believe they're going to refuse an offer that will help them do that Mm -hmm. literally like i i rarely do this in an episode but i'm like wait (laughs) did she just try and justify the borg's survival and theirs in the same sentence? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I thought I heard. I, I, I don't think she is entirely wrong in that regard. But yeah, maybe we'll come back to it. Or maybe it'll right. pop up in, in another episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, man, when she tells the doctor, we'll simply erase your program. <laughs> but it won't come to that. Wow. I mean, seriously, raising the stakes for him. Like, uh, you better do a good job. Or I guess I better do a good job because that's what's on the line. I think like what really sold that was the way that Picardo reacted to that she's like what what me yes how are you gonna delete me why yes. would you do that <laughs> yes yes oh man um and of course we get a, our famous janeway dismissed which is still starfleet for get out in that meeting mm-hmm. and, and then chicote with asking permission to speak freely i've mentioned it before <laughs> on the show but i always think of that snl sketch where they're, they're just officers berating each other and then mm-hmm. they cut off permission to speak freely for the remainder of the voyage there will no longer be permission to speak freely right I, th- there's so much to say about that scene in act five the janeway chicote discussion confrontation meeting whatever you want to call it We'll get to it. But just Janeway saying to him, do you trust me? That that just, it felt manipulative 
in that moment. There, there's so I, much to unpack. Yeah, I know. I, I yeah, see the look on pages. your face. Yeah. Pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to say about this. Yep, yep. And man, I, I gotta say, I was really impressed at the uh, the end of the show when 8472 shows up to start laying waste everything around. We've seen Borg cubes, but then Borg planets. And I just, ah, I, I could not even imagine, much less three of them. And I couldn't imagine what those planets must look like I guess I'll never know. Why couldn't this have been the Northwest Passage that stars Spencer Tracy? That wouldn't be so bad. Voyager can't have nice things. We'll get right back to Scorpion after a word from this week's sponsor, you. Yes, you are our sponsor, you who have joined us on Patreon and by extension, the Mission Log Discord. And, you know, for all the times, Norman, that you and I have said that Mission Log is a conversation, it is a community at this point, that really takes us to that online community that we've built and fostered over at Discord. One of the most exciting things to me is that I know that when you and I do the work, we take our notes and we do our recording of the episode, it is then only a short matter of time before it gets out there. Mm -hmm. And we get to have that conversation again with everybody who has joined us in discord. Right. That that's the, like the next part of doing an episode of mission log. And I look forward to that every week. Well, what I love about what we do on discord and through our Patreon subscriptions, you know, we get a chance to extend not just that conversation, but the conversations for a lot of our programming on, you know, or for mission log and Roddenberry podcasts, mission log live. We extend that discussion in a live conversation, you know, on mission log discord with the now strange, New Worlds Live, hosted by Heather Barker. You know, we have uh, Convention Chat, uh, you know, hosted mm -hmm. by several members of our group. You know, we have our After Dark, hosted by uh, you and I. And then... Oh, oh, we do that. Yes. Yeah, and then also, <laughs> but also yeah. kind of um, curated and matured and fostered and uh, encouraged by all of the members that show up there every Thursday night, which is probably one of the best communities I think I've ever been a part of in terms of Star Trek discussion. I may be biased, but that's okay. I can be. It's our show, <laughs> right? You know, I, I was describing to somebody like a book club mm -hmm. you know where we've all watched the episode we all get together in this virtual <laughs> live format and we get to have these conversations and and yeah by extension you know there's twilight zone and of course babylon 5 that mm -hmm. you and char do it's just so cool because there's a little bit of everything for everybody and then those conversations keep going on in text in those threads all day long. And one of the things that uh, we've mentioned before, you know, when we talk about Patreon is that you and I, John, we do a, you know, a, a very uh, extensive job of trying to cover and research notes for these discussions for our podcasts. And some of that material doesn't make it to the show. That's where we created a value added material segment for our Patreon only exclusive uncut and unexpurgated video recording of this podcast and just mm -hmm. to tease everyone out there <laughs> because it probably won't make it into this show uh, I have mm -hmm. a little section on Janeway possibly gaslighting her crew to Whoa. agree with her plan for the Borg. So I cannot wait to hear that. Yeah, so awesome. that you will find only on our uncut version of this show and we hope that you subscribe to us and support us to see it. 
Terrific. And the way to do that is through patreon.com slash mission log. And then you will very quickly get an invitation to join us on our private discord server, patreon.com slash mission log. And Hey, thank you to some of our most recent subscribers, Brent, Becca, Dr. Muhammad Noor, Stuart, Troy, who all signed up at patreon.com slash mission log. And we will see you there and see you in the mission log discord. All right, Norman. So much. So much. So much to get into with this episode. And I feel like a lot of that is centered, obviously, on Janeway and what's going on there. But I actually, I wanted to start it out with just a thematic thing that I thought was so cool before we get into the nitty gritty about Janeway and what she's doing. And I I just want to bring it to that scene of Harry Kim being in sickbay. You know, he's been infected by the the cells from the 8472, eating him alive. Mm -hmm. And you see him transforming. And I really appreciated the kind of thematic rhyming going on with this story. So this is one of those episodes where really it's all A plot. There is no B plot to speak of, which is fine. And it works very effective that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But even if you do go through and you break up what's happening, say, on the bridge versus what's happening in sickbay, the problem and the proposed solutions are the same. So 8472 has infected Kim as well as the entire Borg population that it killed, okay? The doctor sees a way to use Borg technology to his advantage. But what if that doesn't work? Mm-hmm. What if the Borg programming is too strong and runs amok? What if they can't contain it? What if, you know? What if he has just unleashed a bunch of Borg nanoprobes into Kim, which turns him into Borg slash eight four seven two hybrid? Like there, any number of ways for that to go wrong, and it is just through the accelerated, hopefully careful study and tinkering with that one nanoprobe to see if he can get that replicated enough, get it to work correctly, and then contain it. Right. Mm-hmm. That he will have a success. Janeway's conundrum is the same. It is to exploit Borg technology to her own ends and then hope that it doesn't blow up in her face. And I mean, right. Mm -hmm. So you have the exact same problem going on in these two places. I think we're a lot more sympathetic to the doctor for sure. He's saving somebody who we know and love, who is already infected, who is already facing this down the barrel. Right. Janeway is making a tactical decision where there is an alternative, which is get out of there. And even if you get out of there. There's still potentially time for the EMH to keep working on Harry and hopefully cure him, maybe get to a point that those nanoprobes are fully working on their side. But it's, uh, as they might say, same stuff, different day. Well, it's an interesting study in mm-hmm. kind of like the, the macroscopic versus the microscopic worlds mm-hmm. here and how you're going to use one tactical advantage to be able to project hopefully a greater tactical solution later on as the plan matures. And that's where I think that she, Janeway feels confident that her plan is going to work when she starts seeing the most incremental improvements in Harry's condition, because the nanoprobes are working. They're just not working at the speed and volume, and they're not expediting the process as quickly as she would hope. But she feels that if the doctor can continue with this line of reasoning and technology, then I can take that 
and extrapolate it a hundred times to sell my case to the Borg and say, look at our data, it's working. And it has to because any setbacks, you know, anything that happens to Harry and it comes to when, he, when if he like um, falls prey to a, a misstep in the doctor's treatment, Janeway can't think about it. She has one shot. She's basically using whatever tactical advantage she has as as leverage and mm-hmm. a sniper shot, a sniper round to the Borg's um to appeal to the Borg sensibilities for their own survival. Everything in this episode so far hinges on there is no other alternative. And I think that's where, for me in this episode, where Chakotay, I think, is the most important character in this episode. Man. Um, and, and and he rarely is in uh, in Voyager so right. far. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that. Well, okay. So rarely ever do we see an executive officer stand toe-to-toe with their captain. And when it happens, it happens for a very specific and a very uh, kind of like almost a manufactured reason when it comes to storytelling because you want to like heighten the drama and build that tension between these two characters. But in the case of Janeway and Chakotay, there was a scene that was set up earlier where Chakotay is being the first officer but more being a friend. And Janeway's Mm -hmm. like, I can't imagine life without you. Three years ago, I didn't know who you were. And I can't mm-hmm. imagine my life here without you. That's a very wonderful relationship that they have until it, until something it, incredibly dire happens that puts that friendship to the test. Yeah. You know? Well, I would say it's a really tender scene. Right? You know, you're talking about Act Two. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I mean, the, this episode is Act Two Janeway versus Act Five Janeway. Mm-hmm. And in Act Two, I just wrote down a little bit of that dialogue. Uh, she says, at what point do we come about and retreat to friendly territory? Could the crew accept living out the rest of their lives in the Delta Quadrant? I keep looking at all the captains, my comrades in arms, but the truth is I'm alone. She's acknowledging the very unique problem that she faces and he says and it is so friendly and lovely if that moment comes we'll face it together and we'll make the right decision right we it's we will make the right decision yeah right it it is not janeway's ship it is the cruise ship and therefore all of the crew but as expressed by these two commanders yeah but you know I understand when when Picard takes such extreme stances towards the Borg, like in First Contact, you know, or, sure. you know, in subsequent, you know, uh, Picard Borg stories, because he has had such extreme, uh, extreme reactions to what the Borg has done to him, you know, how they invaded every single possible, you know, area of his of his, you know, personality, you know, his being right down to the cellular level. And they know him and he's trying to fight that, you know, every single day. But that triggers his extremism to the Borg. I don't know exactly what triggers Janeway's extremism to the Borg to the point where she's about to turn herself into an island that she's already predicting Mm -hmm. she's going to be in the line of dialogue that you were saying. The truth is I'm alone. No, you are Mm -hmm. looking for the reason to be alone. You're looking for the reason to do what these captains have said and done over the course of any, how many Star Trek series we have right now. Like the captain stands alone. The captain can't be close to his crew. The captain always has to be isolated. The captain can't have relationships. Right. That's not true. You know, they can, and we've seen it happen. Mm -hmm. It's just that 
when the hard decision has to come down, the captain believes that in order to protect everyone else, I, the captain, have to make that decision for the entirety of the crew so that the crew cannot be blamed for anything that happens past that decision. See, and that's where then it starts to look like this personal drive that overrides the safety and needs and well-being of the crew, of the ship, of the principles that this is all about. That That's where we get into this really difficult territory, because as admirable as Janeway is in so many ways, I mean, believe me, in the last three seasons of Voyager, she has risen right to the top to, if not the favorite, one of my favorite captains. Mm-hmm. But moments like this, you go... Ooh, but are are you being blinded by something personal here instead of the job, instead of the the position that you have? She says in Act 5, we just need the courage to see this through to the end. Oh, yes. (laughs) And Chakotay, Chakotay wisely says there are other kinds of courage, the courage to accept that there are some situations beyond your control. Excellent wonderful exchange between Chakotay and Janeway. Um, And and I, of course, thought about Tuvok because he was the one who says sometimes a retreat is the most logical tactical move to make. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would have loved to have seen her seek counsel with him. Maybe that'll come in the next episode. I don't know. Um, But it, it feels like we need that voice in there as a voice of reason as well. Um, I, let, let's see here. It, yeah, it's Chakotay who says to her, how much is our safety worth? I think you're struggling to justify your plan because your desire to get this crew home is blinding you to other options. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that that that's something and and honestly he's being more generous with it than i would be right <laughs> you know yeah. saying that she's blinded by her desire to get the crew home i feel like it's something even more personal than that well you know we're we're now kind of uh you can create take, take this equation and you can create this immovable object which is the borg right versus mm. janeway's irresistible force which is her stubbornness or her desire to ensure that her plan is going to succeed, whatever that plan is going to be. So this is this fundamental question we continue to ask ourselves um, when we study Voyager episodes. We've said this about this series time and again. Janeway has these command decisions that has put Voyager and the crew at risk for one reason or another, either to forge alliances with other races or explore unknown areas of the Delta Quadrant or you know, entertain other extreme options that either are going to make it for the time that she's lost because of bad decision-making or for reasons that were beyond her control. The thing is, is that most of the time we've asked the question, why did Janeway do this in the first place? Which of the two principles mm-hmm. is she following from the very moment they, she made her promise to the ship to either explore space and be Starfleet or to get them home. You can't have one, you know, in balance with the other. One has to be the priority. So which is it going to be? Is it going to be to get home? And if she actually did, you know, if she actually planned on let's take the shortest amount of time to get home the quickest way possible and most Mm -hmm. efficiently, she may not have encountered the Borg at this time. Hmm. So it's a good point. You know, I know that there's yeah. a lot of if, ands, or buts, and coulda, shoulda, wouldas here, but 
there's the thing. She can explore and exploration. There's that, you know, that colloquial saying out there, F around and find out. Well, she just did. <laughs> she did. Right. She, she did. just did. And now yeah. she's like, well, maybe I could have gotten this home faster. Maybe I could have avoided this. So I'm going to create a plan that everyone else is going to have to buy onto so that mm-hmm. we can get through this because there's no other way. Well, there was, and there still is. And that's why I think that Chakotay still in this episode is the most important character. Oh, look, we've already met other cultures that have technologies that could, could potentially get Voyager home. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the rug is pulled out for them week after week when they encounter it. But I'm also going to say, like, that planet where the 37s landed, that seems pretty attractive right now. If I'm, uh, you know, if I'm uh, Samantha Wildman, I'm thinking like, oh, wow, I could have stayed there. I could have raised my kid there and uh, hung out with Amelia Earhart for the rest of my natural life. That's sounds all right mm-hmm. i think i'll take that and then maybe we can reverse engineer some of that alien technology to get us back where they captured all those humans from to begin with right so i, I guess like in in hindsight because you know that's that's the luxury that we have uh, knowing what mm-hmm. we know about you know these episodes now at the end of season three we're really seeing like a pattern evolve here and let's go all the way back to the the alien that was preying on janeway's life energy when she was dying you know the the, the mm-hmm. alien that you know portrayed her father or took the form of her yeah. father he kept saying that you know you're the you're the Catherine that I've always known the stubborn one the one that has to use science and has to reason and has to make sure that everything has been proven and you know your theor- your theories have been uh, you know have been weighed and measured to the point where they're you know um, they cannot be argued well mm-hmm. that's what she's doing to her crew at the end of this episode I don't think that she's listening to them. No, you know, she's she's hearing them, but hearing and listening are two different things. And again, I said the reason why I think Chakotay is so important in this episode, because Chakotay is the one person that says she's wrong. Mm -hmm. And she still doesn't give him the due credit of being an executive officer to listen to the possible options that are in front of them. Why is it that she has to push so hard to prove her point? And not reflect on the we that Chakotay says are going to get through this as opposed to the I that's going to get you through this. Well, and again, go back to the 37s. That was an episode where they actually asked the crew, what do you want? (laughs) Do you want to stay here or do you want to keep going? Now, of course, circumstances were different at the time, but at least it showed the willingness to listen to those other voices, to, to actually entertain the idea that some people may not want to do this because it's too dangerous. I think there's only one conditional thing that would make me think like, Okay, Janeway has to be right in this case, which is if they had established that wherever Voyager goes from now on, beginning with this episode, Borg and or 8472 will follow and destroy whatever is in their path. Mm-hmm. Because it's taken us how many weeks, say, to get from the Necrit Expanse or how many months to get from the Kazon or, or whatever. And if they had turned around and gone back the same way, do you just have uh, a path of one or the other species, Borg or 8472, that will take out everything that they encounter? Uh, maybe if you could establish that, maybe if you could say, like, look, it, 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 it's us or them, then maybe that is a different, deeper conversation for her to have with Chicote. I don't know, but maybe I'll come back to that in my wrap-up. 
poor species 8471, whoever they were, nobody talks about them much anymore, they're yesterday's lunch leftovers. So John, we have made it to the end of the season three Voyager finale, Scorpion part one, and ow! Wait a second. <laughs> did you, oh, did you, did I was, you get stunned? Did you sting me? I thought you had a truce. I thought we're both going to drown before uh, we get to the end. I'm sorry. I, I can't change my nature. I, All you right. know, yeah. Thanks. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> but as we do uh, in Mission Log, we take a look at the episode. We get to the end here. We ask ourselves, uh, does the episode hold up? Has it withstood the test of time? And we look for morals, meanings, and messages at the end to reflect on if we were able to find any. Probably from the nature and tone of our discussion, you may think we may have, but we may surprise you. So let's see what John has in store for us. All right. I apologize. No surprise. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This episode is a super impressive way to end a season. And look, yes, we're back to the Borg. And yes, we're building a cliffhanger. But they really did achieve something here in terms of building tension, giving us something new, giving us action and horror, and stretching the limits of their own visual effects work. So as a production, as a piece of drama as well, it's just firing everything on all cylinders. And you can tell that they saved the budget to get us here. So so that is a well-run show that is doing that. Great Janeway Chicote interaction. That is truly at the heart of this. That was that's what you know gave us our fodder for our conversation. Can't wait to get into that further, see how that unfolds. And some of that conversation is very personal, but it it treads that line perfectly with letting you really believe that they are who they are and what the stakes are for themselves and for the crew. I just thought all of that dialogue was cracking. So well done, well acted, well performed. And I have to tell you this, you know, you and I and Earl, we talked about whether or not this would be as a podcast, a single episode to cover both parts of Scorpion. And when we decided to just focus on this one, I'm so glad we did. And honestly, now I haven't yet watched uh, episode two. So I'm so excited genuinely now to go watch episode two because this was the perfect setup for it. And yeah, I've seen those years and years and years ago, but now because of the strengths of this episode, my interest is greatly heightened. So obviously for me, it holds up that way, you know, as a cliffhanger piece of drama, but it holds up as strong Star Trek with great discussion, great characters, great ethical dilemmas, which we'll get into in our uh, in our morals, meanings, messages. But OK, as an episode, does it hold up for you? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love this episode. And I, I really do believe we have finally gotten our very first true season finale because, like you said, it pulled out all the stops. You know, it had the budget for it. It felt grand. It felt like finale. It had the right pacing. It had the right acting. It had the right moral and ethical storytelling. The landmines that our characters are walking through that they were being like weighed and measured against, you know, in terms of how we as the audience reacted to them, especially Janeway and Chakotay. I mean, season one really didn't have a finale. You know, it was just learning curve and they took the rest of the episodes, mm-hmm. what, four or five episodes and threw them into season two. Yeah. Season yeah. two didn't even really have a finale like basics part one. You know, it was basically mm-hmm. let's get rid of the Kazon because they're done. So yeah. just, you know, yeah. good riddance. That was kind of played out. But now 
this entire season has been building up to what essentially became kind of like a showdown between Janeway and Chakotay, you know, with the Borg story and the 8472 story as the backdrop. And right around 37 and a half minutes, there's a scene where Chakotay tells that now his famous scene of the scorpion in the fox parable. Mm-hmm. And Robert Beltran, I mean, he really... He flexed really hard in this episode. Mm-hmm. We saw maybe why he was cast in the first place. And when you actually give Chakotay material to work with, he's very effective. I love how he he softly introduces how Janeway could possibly be wrong in this situation. And I love that he pushes back to the point where the scene rises and they're being contentious towards each other. And then he basically says, we'd be giving an advantage to a race guilty of murdering billions. We'd be helping the Borg assimilate yet another species to get ourselves back home. It's wrong. Yeah. Rarely, rarely do you actually hear an XO to the captain say, it's wrong. You're wrong. Why are you doing this? You're in, you know, you're pushing so hard for no reason. You are not weighing the options. Now, I'm sure that, you know, you smart people out there hit Google and say, like, no, this scene, that scene, this scene, that scene. Mm-hmm. But this is probably maybe one of the first times we've seen it in kind of like the Berman era of Trek, maybe since TOS, like, to now. And it's very profound because... Janeway and Chakotay have had this very soft, very caring, very nurturing, very supportive relationship. And now he's pushing back in a most professional way. And does this mean their resolutions are resolving? Well played. Well, we will see, my friend. All right. Well, let's talk about what we learned. Any uh, messages here? I, I think what I really like is that in a grand classic Trek tradition, there are big ideas, big dilemmas, ethical dilemmas that get kicked around. And we may side with one or another here, but at the end of the day, it's just going to be another thing that like carries on a debate because there isn't specifically a right answer. There are only degrees of rightness or safety or principle at stake here. I love exploring the idea of desperation leading to bad decisions. If we think that Janeway's decision is a bad one, maybe the other way is a bad decision. But in either case, they are over a barrel here and they have to decide to do something. So are they compromised in that uh, before they make their actual decision here? Going back to Chakotay's parable. Can you overcome nature? Is it a little too optimistic for Janeway to think, oh, we can get them to change what they do because now we have an advantage? Well, what happens in the split second that you lose that advantage, particularly against an enemy as formidable as the Borg? Yeah, they're getting beat by 8472, but they could still turn around and wipe out Voyager with no problem at all. So, I, I mean, that that's kind of what I followed up thinking in terms of that parable, do you proceed ahead with good intentions, even if you may get burned? You know, the, this is part of the Starfleet thing, is that we go in as explorers, we go in with peaceful intention, but they also beam in with phasers nine times out of ten. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how do you proceed with those good intentions and still maintain that level of safety and security, knowing that at any moment the tables could turn? And let me go back to the Harry Kim thing. Do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few here, or is it the needs of the few 
outweighing the needs of the many. Janeway says, tell that to Harry Kim, to Chakotay, about their potential problem here, right? Okay. Well, if I can stand in Chakotay's shoes for a moment, tell that to the many more species, hundreds, thousands, however many, that the Borg will be able to go and assimilate over time. If you give them this tactical advantage here, what are you then allowing them to do? The only thing that we know about 8472 is that they're powerful and they pop out of these little quantum singularity holes every now and then. We don't know where they're from. We don't know anything else about them. But we're saying we are okay with handing this weapon over to something that is infinitely more powerful than we are. So does the life of Harry Kim, does that outweigh everybody else's needs? And do do the lives of the Voyager's crew outweigh the lives of however many more planets are in the Delta Quadrant and beyond that the Borg will just continue to scoop up the way they've done in the past. You know, I'd like to ask a question too because of this. I understand that Harry is main crew and that Janeway has an affection towards him. Mm. But what if it was rarely do we ever in Star Trek do we see random ex-crew member get the same attention you know, or the same yeah. importance treated, you know, towards their case. What if it was just a random security guard that got infected the way that Harry did and is the only one there? Would yeah, Janeway he- make that same decision? Would she have planted her heels so firmly in the ground against Chakotay for random ex-security guard? Right, right. And you just say, oh, wow, he looks really bad. We'd better shoot him out of the airlock. Right, you know, yeah, or that's yeah. what they signed on for. That's their job. Mm-hmm. I'm like, like, what mm-hmm. is one life versus another when it comes to the principle that she is so firmly entrenched on here? Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. I mean, this episode is just full of important ideas to ponder, and none of them have easy answers. But I think we can really admire the determination to take action of some sort, whether it's Janeway's action or Chakotay's action, which is still an action. I mean, at the end of the day, we're also faced with this ultimate uh, survivor's fallacy. So think about it. Go with me on this for a minute here. Okay. If Janeway and crew stayed on a planet and lived out their lives successfully by whatever measure you want to call success, all right, they would have been right. Now, if they proceed through the Northwest Passage and survive, then they are also right. (laughs) So... It's the ones who make an either-or decision and don't survive that we don't hear from. Okay? So if Voyager had turned around and landed on a planet, and maybe the last of the Voyager crew members survived only another 50 or 100 years. And nothing is ever seen or heard from Voyager again, and it's just chalked up as a loss. Okay? Is that a failure? Well, we'd never know because nobody's going to hear from them again. If they fly through the Northwest Passage and get destroyed, nobody's going to hear from them again. So mm-hmm. you, you really have to ask. It's like, all right, you can't necessarily lay a right or wrong, black or white moral value to either, either of these decisions. Because we may not actually have the whole story. And we may only be basing on the story on who survives, who comes out on the other end. Mm-hmm. So... I feel like the story is going to go one way, but even if it had gone the other way, it still could have been the right answer. No, that's fair. That's fair. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, again, I've 
And I've probably brought up an example or two of how I felt Chakotay was so important to this episode and important to Janeway because what they have here is probably the first probably the first instance where they really challenge the trust that's been built between the two of them. And trust has to go both ways for any relationship to work. Uh, I'm going to quote uh, another scene here. Janeway says, we just need the courage to see this through to the end. Chakotay says there are other kinds of courage, like the courage to accept that there are some situations beyond your control. Not every problem has an immediate solution. Very much, you know, uh, what you were trying to say here, John, it's like there's mm-hmm. an opportunity to be able to survive this and see whether or not they were right, because no one's going to know if everyone is dead. Right. So and then Janeway says you're suggesting we turn around. But the suggestion is there. The opportunity to understand options are there. And. It, to my point, trust is a form of courage. Mm-hmm. You know, trust is mm-hmm. that form of courage that Chakotay is talking about, those other kinds of courage. And in my opinion, in this specific situation, I don't believe that Janeway trusts Chakotay, his honesty as her first officer, nearly as much as she appreciates who he is as her friend. And I think that there is a big distinction between how she compartmentalizes his friendship and his authority as his first as her first officer. She has this relationship with him, you know, emotionally, but then she also has it professionally. And mm-hmm. I think that her courage in this situation is to trust what he is telling her and at least try and understand where the options are that are ahead of her. And maybe that's why the figurehead of the captain believes that they are isolated and alone, because in the end, it's their decision that they have to live with. But he's trying to say no is the decision that we are going to try and live with. And unless they're going to make this relationship work, the only way to do that is for her to be able to come more than halfway where she is right now to trust what Chakotay is saying, because that's who she's looking for. That's who she's Mm -hmm. looking towards. And unless you can do that and say, you're my partner in this, then how's this relationship going to work? Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com, and for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Scorpion, Part 2. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Schabel. Come on Harry, you can do it. You can pull through and rock those tentacles as a fashion statement. transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.